Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm not trying to be serious. <laughs> oh, no, the way you just like leaned in just now. I was like, yo, this is intense. Oh, shit. <laughs> Something Positive for Positive People is the leading hub of sexual health communication resources. Um, this is a 501c3 nonprofit. We raise money to continue to provide these resources as well as the experiences of people who are living with and affected by herpes stigma. Uh, a lot of the things that we do are uh, teaching people how to disclose, how to talk about sexual health. Um, I've taught trainings to public health professionals and organizations on how to talk to their patients uh, in regards to their concerns about disclosure and speaking about the mental health and stigma components of what it means to navigate a herpes diagnosis. Um, so yeah, there's that and then more. If you wanna know more, please check out www.spfpp.org. But overall, what I'm doing is advocating for the integration of these people's lived experiences, navigating stigma um, and bringing those communication skills that they've learned and taught us through their stories into sex education resources uh, to aid STD prevention efforts. So this concept, uh, I call it STI minimization. And really what it does is just incorporate the communication and mental health components into STD prevention efforts. So now that that's been out of the way, um, Fran, you're my guest today. How are you? I'm great, and I'm really happy to be here right now. How long have you been following me? I know that before I knew what you looked like, <laughs> there was a there was a time period where I just saw like this. Uh, it was just your hair in the picture, basically, and like a fifth of your face. I know that that was going on for a while, and then more recently, you and I started to speak. Um, how long has it been? Was it 2020? It's been, you know what? I wouldn't know. Nah, it's been a while. It's been maybe three or four years, mm -hmm. I reckon. Okay. And what made you finally decide that you were ready for this? You mean for what we're doing right now? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just over it. I'm over hiding and yeah, I'm just over hiding. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I'm happy of where I am today and I've got nothing to hide. Yeah. Okay. And... I guess we can just start with your diagnosis. Um, I'm assuming you have herpes. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I can't remember like the last, I guess, because we've had like conversations that really don't have anything to do with herpes as well. Uh, we've been talking yeah. lately about just like your journey with sobriety and uh, we could talk more about that later, but I guess just uh, talk me through your diagnosis. How long have you been diagnosed? Type one, type two, location, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so it so I have a genital herpes, so type two, and I was diagnosed about nine years ago, and I was with a long term. Well, I was with my partner, and we were together for six months. So um, I had an outbreak and didn't know, and then we had sex, and then he got it. But my outbreak was much slower than his. So when he got it, his came on really quick and mine came on really slow. So we were both like, oh shit, we both have herpes and we don't know how. So we just assumed it was, we already had it and didn't know. Okay. And that, that was that. Yeah. So nine years ago, how has, how have things been since nine years ago? Like I'm assuming that y'all aren't together anymore. How long did you stay together? Um, we stayed together for two years after that. Did you stay together because of the herpes? Like, w was there a point in time where you were just together uh, and you recognized that you probably shouldn't have been sooner than that two years? Definitely not. He was an amazing, he is an amazing guy. And that didn't really play any part um in us breaking up or anything like that it wasn't a toxic relationship it was all love what? so yeah that didn't i mean at, towards the end i was like oh shit you know i had to face i had to face what was really going on because i was like shit i have herpes and i have to go out there yeah so what ended the relationship if you don't mind talking about it 
Um, just he wanted to move back to England and I obviously I live in Sydney, I love Australia and he wanted to go back to his home country in England. Mm. That's why we broke up. It's so interesting and I, I say this and the reason I bring it up <clears throat> uh, is because people that I speak to have this idea that because they have herpes and the person that they have herpes with they need to try and fight through the relationship or because a relationship ends that it's a bad ending or that it has something to do with herpes and over the course of the evolution of this podcast so much more of what i talk to people about has less to do with herpes and more about the rest of the person and it's a really cool little like bait and switch because people come into the podcast and they're like, oh, herpes. Yeah, people have herpes. I'm going to learn about herpes. And then by the end of it, you look up and the only thing you know is that this person who has experiences in life is just they have herpes. But so much more of the conversation is like this component, you know, y'all weren't wanting to be in the same place. And people who have herpes think that there's not even there's not even like a part of them that thinks or believes that they are going to make it into a relationship where that can be a potential issue. So when we talk about these regular ass things that happen to real people, I think that it gives people a more grounded sense of what it means to navigate a relationship, not exclusively in relation to herpes. So it, it, I'm happy to hear that the relationship didn't work out for an actual reason that didn't have anything to do with herpes, regardless if it seems like I might have been like pushing in that direction. So thank you for sharing that. Yep, no worries. And uh, you said y'all were together for six months, well, six months before you realized you had herpes and then you dated for two years. So once that relationship ended and you said this was nine years ago, so seven years ago, um, what was happening? It was like 2016. Uh, where were you? Were you in like college? Were you in the real world working and everything or what? Uh, I wasn't doing much. I was partying a lot. I wasn't really thinking about my life or my life direction or I wasn't really taking my life seriously at the time. So I was just partying, partying. I had a job, but it wasn't anything serious, just made enough money so that I could party. Yeah, it was just supported your uh, your habit. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for fun. Mm-hmm. All right. And when you, I guess around this time, had to start dating again, when you were partying, um, was there conversations around sexual health with partners or what? I'll be fully transparent here. I was terrified to tell anyone, so I didn't tell anyone. Ooh, all right. So did this make you not date or did it make you not sexual or did it make you just like party super hard do drugs drink and not have to think about it you're nodding yes go ahead yeah i i used the partying as a way to escape um the herpes diagnosis i didn't want to face it so i did party through it and i did have some sexual experiences but i didn't tell them um it was just quick used condoms and out the door with these sexual experiences, uh, did they ask you if you had anything? No. Did you ask them if they had anything? No. And well, it's not interesting because that's actually pretty common. <laughs> but um, okay. Now, was there? I guess before you're in your relationship, was there any reason for you to have brought up STIs at all back then? Oh, you mean when I was with uh, my long-term partner? Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I was always terrified of catching an STI or an STD, whatever you want to call it. I know what we call it these days. Um, I was always terrified of catching one, but I never did anything about it because most men that I was hooking up with didn't want to use condoms. So I thought it was easier to not use condoms, uh, which was silly, but... No, me and me and my ex-partner, we didn't have any conversation about STIs or anything like that. Okay. Um, with these relationships or sexual encounters, you said they were quick. Are we talking about like 
quick or are we talking about like short term? Because I know there might be like a little bit of a, a, a location barrier. When I hear quick, I hear one thing. But when you're saying quick, does that just mean like it was casual? I think it was a bit of both. So I would sleep with someone. <laughs> so, yeah, I would, let's just say, meet someone, sleep with them, and then obviously hate myself for not being able to tell them and then feeling uncomfortable and just wanting nothing to do with them. Oh, so this was like not even really like getting to know someone, talk to them, exchange numbers. It was just like, uh, I guess like where I'm, I'm trying to put myself where your head would have been at all right mm. so you get this herpes diagnosis you're in a healthy relationship the relationship ends and then you're partying or have you been partying the whole time oh i was partying the whole time all right that helps and so you're now single and now you party and now i guess like what what were your beliefs about dating or relationships now going back into the dating world from that healthy relationship? Um, well, it was extremely toxic. Like there was no way I could attract a healthy partner because I, I was toxic myself. I was indulging in toxic substances and toxic behaviors. Um, does that answer the question? I think I'm, what's yeah. Your, so what's your definition of toxic? Um, no self-awareness. Um, no, like toxic for me would be you're not on the path of trying to be better. So it's, I was at my lowest point not trying to be better. So was this a conscious choice of not being better or was this an unconscious pattern that's a good question i feel like it was a bit of both there was always something in me that knew that i could do better but i think i was so stuck in the partying phase that all i cared about was you know getting high getting drunk and going to the party mm -hmm. the reason that i ask this is because i hear the word toxic just thrown around in a yeah, yeah. lot of different contexts and mm -hmm. sometimes when people say toxic that's not what they mean and so i just yeah. wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that specific thing because for a lot of people ignorance is bliss <laughs> that's one thing and then for a lot of other people it's just like we don't know we just don't know what we don't know and it doesn't sound like you have friends around you and you can correct me if i'm wrong who would tell you hey friend uh you probably should slow down or maybe we should do something that's not partying today or perhaps maybe and then like let the list go on right of suggestions that your friends could have made for you along the way if you were in fact being what you label as toxic oh i wouldn't hang out with people that wanted me to be better we were encouraged we were all encouraging each other to go out and party and get bags of cocaine like that was our thing it was like how bad how bad can you be there was like a pat, a pat on, I, I'm I'm ashamed to say this, but we're all patting each other on the back for our behaviours. Oh, okay. Um, tell me more. Uh, well, in the sense of, um, it, uh, I don't want to talk about other people, but... You don't, have, yeah, yeah. Say, you don't have to talk about other people. But. If I was to sleep around, uh, you know, my friends would just laugh some of them would just laugh at it and be like oh she's sleeping around <laughs> oh that's so funny oh like what happened what did you get up to instead of saying do you think that's good for your mental health that you're sleeping around with men that don't care about you so were they telling you or what was this narrative in your head i guess what did you get out of it that, that's my question i was trying to like figure out a way to word it but my question is what did you get out of that when did I get out of the... No, no, not when. What did you get out of it? Was there a sense of power or satisfaction or you just got the coke? I... Oh, are you talking about the, the, the drugs? Well, no, I mean like with sleeping around, That's partying, the drugs. Um, it was... I needed some sort of validation.
So it was being the cool party girl and, you know, having people around her, having guys that I could go and, you know, hook up with. Not that I cared about any of them, but it was all very shallow. Um, yeah, it was It was just validation was a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Were you, what kind of validation did you get prior to the feeling the need to go out, party, sleep around, do drugs and drink? What validation did I get before that? Mm-hmm. You mean before the drugs and the alcohol? Yeah. None. <laughs> So I, my, I'm asking this because I'm wondering when did this sudden need for validation pop up? Was um, it when the relationship ended? Oh, you mean, are you talking about after, after the herpes diagnosis? Is that what you're talking about? It don't even matter. No, just like where is the validation seeking coming from is what I want to figure out. Oh, I think that's just, I would assume, just comes from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So even in the relationship where you should have gotten validation in your relationship, was there still there was still the partying, drugs, alcohol and everything. Did you cheat? No. Okay. All right. I, I had to ask. <laughs> um so I am very active and involved in this realm of sex positivity where you doing what you were doing was mostly praised and yeah you go girl you should do what you're doing and to hear you now talk about this in a way that's like this is what i was doing and i didn't have anyone to stop me um that messaging is still very prevalent in the spaces that i occupy in regards to sex education you should be able to do whatever you want be a slut and like be proud of that and it doesn't necessarily seem like something that you're proud of right now can you can you talk me through that well it wasn't coming from a healthy place so why would i be proud of it i didn't like any of the men i was sleeping with and for my personality, um, sleeping around is actually quite damaging to my psyche. I'm going to go out and say that. And to what I would call, like, it's almost like it's damaging to my, my aura. Ooh, what do you mean? So I feel like we all have, like, an energetic body. So the way I feel when I sleep around is I feel... I feel used and I feel as if I'm giving away a part of myself and it's not being appreciated. Whereas I feel like, yeah, I wasn't looking at sex like it was sacred. It was just like, whatever. It was like, ugh, just do whatever with anyone. Did your friends know you viewed sex this way? Did you know you viewed sex this way? I did. I was just trying to be like everyone else. Ooh. So everybody else was doing this or was everybody else just kind of like saying they were doing this? And the reason I ask is because I see people enable people to do things all the time and they're like, yeah, go. I support it. I support it. But they never do that themselves because they just know like and I'm wondering if there were perhaps friends that you had who lived vicariously through you while they maintain the sacredness of their sex and their sexuality. And like maybe they didn't do coke, but they were like, yeah, girl, go get the coke. Right. Or they didn't get the guys, you know, you're you're, you're laughing. But like, is that I'm wondering if you had friends like that who might have just been like in the back you know, cheering from the bleachers while living a whole separate life that they go home to at the end of the day when y'all done party. Definitely not. I, I would say that, I don't want to use the word worse, but they were doing more that, than I was. All right. So you, were the, so you were the follower in the pack. You were the leader of the pack. You were just like the one. I was the leader. I was a follower. <laughs> All right. Um, Damn. Okay. So I guess, how do you repair your aura? You know, like when do you just wake up and realize, okay, this isn't for me anymore. I don't want to party. I don't want to do the drinking. I don't want to do the drugs. I don't want to have the sex. Uh, well, I was, I was going nowhere and I was 
really depressed and I, my self-esteem was so low from all of my decisions, like extremely low. And I had to get out of that. What did that time period look like for you? How long ago was that? It's taken a while. I'd say when COVID happened was when obviously the clubs shut and no one was out drinking. So I was like, okay, this is it. So that was when it started, but it's only, so it was 2020. So I'd say only now is it really instilled in me that I can't go back or I'll destroy my life. Mm. And did you have any type of support? Because COVID was a very lonely time for a lot of people. And if you, you know, are deciding to completely change your lifestyle at that point, I imagine you lost a lot of connections that you previously had. I had plenty of support. I have actually a really big circle of people that I know. So I'll have some sober friends. I'll have some party friends i'll have some religious friends like i feel like i have a pretty good circle so i didn't feel lonely at all during covid okay or when i decided to change oh so the people around you were supportive when you decided yeah. to make your changes yeah 100 percent. but it, it was slow because i kept going back to drinking mm. how did you keep slipping back into well, wait, was that a decision that you wanted to make at that time to stop drinking? Or was it just like, you know, you knew you needed to make some changes and you decided, all right, I want to make some changes. And then like going back to drinking wasn't necessarily a thing. It was just that you didn't stop ever. Well, I didn't want to come to terms with the fact that I had to let go of um, that party girl identity and that going to a club or going to a day party and getting drunk and chasing guys on the dance floor isn't going to get me the ideal lifestyle that I want. So I want to make it to the top <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with going out and partying and chasing guys on the dance floor, but I did that for 20 years and it was time to let it go. Mm -hmm. Letting that go, what did you replace that with? So many things. Um, Therapy was huge. Um, getting to know myself, because I had no idea who I was. I was like, I have no clue who I am. I have no clue what I like, because all I've done is go to the pub and drink with my friends. Um, so I didn't know what I liked. So it was getting to know what I liked. And what was that process? So you went to therapy. And... Did heaps of therapy. I did a lot of psychic work. So working with psychics, that was like a big catalyst for me. I know that's a bit, um, I know that's very out there for some people, but that was my journey. So I worked with a lot of psychics um, and then I did therapy. I did dream analysis. I did, I did pole dance. So that sort of kept the, um, you know, the flavor alive. Um, what else did I do? Meditation, just so much self-development work. Anything that had to do with self-development, I was there. Mm -hmm. All right. And has this stuck with you? When's the last time you partied? And well, you can still like go to parties, like, right? Like, can you still go out? Do you still go out? And is it just a different experience for you? Well, if I go out sober, it's it is a completely different experience, and because you you can't really compare going to a party and being drunk to being sober because you're so much more you're you're more present. Um, so it is a very different experience and I can go if I want to. I just have to make sure that I'm not going to have too much temptation around where I might sleep. Mm. Have you, like, what's the last time that you slept? So that was three months. I think I'm like three months and 17 days sober. Mm -hmm. So it would have been that last time that I had a drink. What caused the slip? It's always a guy. Oh, it was a boy? No. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, was it one of those things where you were out or he made you mad and you went out drinking? Or was it like uh, he offered you a drink and you felt like you needed to just drink to be cool? Or what was the situation? Um, I can't remember. I think I was just, it could have just been maybe boredom and wanting attention. Um, and I actually bro broke up with someone. And then I felt shit about it. So I, yeah, I slipped up and I had a drink. Oh, okay. 
Um, you mentioned breaking up with somebody. So is this, are you dating? How is dating now with herpes, especially? Yeah, this, I would love to tell you this story because I met this guy, um, and he just wanted to come to my house and sleep with me straight away. And I was like, that's not cool with me, but I liked him so much that I did it. So I just blurted out. I was like, I have herpes. And he was like, I don't care. Do you know how many people have told me they have herpes? He's like, I probably have herpes. And I was like, cool, okay, that's fucking great. So that's what made me just be like, oh, sleep with him. He's so cool about herpes, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, but then he was not really, he didn't care about me, so I had to break it off and it really hurt my feelings. I'm sorry to hear that. I thought this was going to be a much longer story, so I took a drink. My bad. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> oh, uh, Is this the only disclosure story you got? No, I've got plenty. Oh, okay. They're all, and they're all the same. They're all like, cool, you got herpes? Cool. Let's have sex now. That's it. That's how it goes down. Really? Do you ask them, like, about testing at all, or do you care at all, or condoms discussed? What is it? It just seems like a, I have herpes, I don't care, and then sex happens. And I think that this is an experience that I don't know that I have on the podcast very often, where someone's not really experiencing or questioning whether or not they were rejected for herpes specifically. The funny thing is, actually, I have, I've had people tell me that they had HPV. Um, and so obviously, yeah, really? so that was, um, yeah, so they were disclosing to me that they had HPV. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I have herpes, dude. Like, Do you only date men? Yes. Okay. So here in the United States, they can't test men for HPV. How do um, these men know they have HPV? genital warts ah okay duh (laughs) all right so i had two people just disclose before i even had a chance to disclose so i think that was good so um i felt like if we already had that out of the way then there wasn't really much else to talk about Mm -hmm. and they obviously didn't care because they were like i don't care don't care about that stuff oh that scares me (laughs) like that don't scare you when somebody's just like oh i don't care because like the first thing i'm gonna think is uh, who else do you not care like am i one of like am i like the third person that you told that to today and we about to just continue this process or what i you know what it, it, it is concerning um because you know what yeah it is concerning but a lot everyone was just so different in their reaction and some of them re- liked me so much that they didn't care, but then there were guys that just really didn't care. Like, mm-hmm. they wouldn't... Obviously, they, they didn't want to use condoms. After I said, hey, I have herpes, they did not want to use condoms at any point. How much of this has to do with your attraction? And do you ever wonder if people like you or if they just, like, like how you look and they're like, oh, you're so pretty, I don't care? Oh, yeah, it depends. Some of them, I think some of the guys didn't really, they didn't like me at all. They were just, they liked my look. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they would have unprotected sex with anyone, to be honest. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Can you, can you tell the difference between someone who likes you and who just like likes things about you or just like how you look or whatever i can 100 percent tell the difference it's whether or not i listen to that and if i'm that starved for attention that i will ignore the fact that there's no connection it's very surface level i love that you're so open about i'm seeking validation i need some attention like this is what it is like i want attention um, especially because it's so easy to get and it's so accessible, especially even with social media. Like you don't need to leave the house for attention. So, like, do you feel like you're doing things in the name of getting attention that you know are damaging to this aura that you have even now? 
Not anymore, no. Okay. So how are you feeding this need for attention and validation in a healthy way? You know what? You know what? That is such a good question because I need to address that or I'm going to lose my shit. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And I need to, honestly, I need to find, I need to think about what you just said because it's really, really important. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. I mean, what we're doing right now is amazing. I feel like I'm being I'm being validated. So maybe, yeah, this this is helping. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I find that people find the healthy things in life to be more boring. <laughs> so when we talk about seeking validation and looking for or wanting attention that component of just like what it means to have a healthy relationship or a healthy community like that shit seems so boring to people and i don't really know what to tell people when they go from having these peaks of just intensity and excitement and the roller coaster rides and then they get some stability and they're like yeah I'm happier now. And you can tell that they're lying. Like, I'm glad that you're able to sit here and be honest with me. Like, I ain't gonna lie to you. That healthy shit is boring and it's not fun, but it's consistent. It's stable. And what I've learned is that there's a very critical component to being able to be in healthy relationship and community with people. And it's like, you have to intentionally create what would be perceived as like toxic moments that create the the illusion of toxicity but in a healthy way like having things to look forward to uh working towards something that is being built that you'll be able to complete and say ah yeah i did that we did that um it's a matter of seeing whatever your own progression towards some self-development like it's that kind of thing as well these are very important elements to maintaining a healthy sense of validation seeking uh because it, it, it's gonna happen like we all need it like men typically like need to be used or want to feel useful um, i didn't mean to say need to be used but like just need to be useful in order to feel validated and in your case here you're like i, I want some attention so <laughs> what are you gonna do for attention to get that validation you know what you know how you said uh people find it boring when they when they stop with the extreme highs the thing is if you really love yourself like i'll give you an example one thing that i want to do is I want to do a singing lesson. I want to get vocal training and I want to sing. And that is by no means boring, but it's absolutely terrifying. So if I really love myself and I really want to step it up, I'm going to have to face some fears. And I don't think that's boring at all. Like facing your fears is anything but boring. So you've got to just, well, how can I say this? I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say you have to grow a pair of balls and you have to go be willing to love yourself enough to go out there and fucking get what you want. What are we going to do with a pair of bulls? <laughs> Is that an, I don't know if that's an Australian saying. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. The way you say balls, <laughs> like the way Australians say balls, it sounds like bulls, <laughs> like, like the male cow. So that's what I was. Um, <laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> um, what you just said is something that's for you. And I think a lot of people look to others for that attention, for that validation. And this is something that if you get singing lessons, yeah, you might sing for other people or you might sing and other people are going to hear it. But you want the singing lessons because you want to be a better singer. And that's what you are wanting for yourself. So you're taking these actions, you're taking these steps that are, you know, maybe right now are for you and maybe bigger picture will benefit other people but that's that's like a step in the right direction you know what other hobbies do you have what other interests do you have that you're exploring 
I just, I went to the gym for the first time. I hired a personal trainer and I lifted weights and I was like, damn, this is amazing. It made me feel so good. I know a lot of people in recovery, they'll go to the gym and they'll be like, this has been like a missing link. So I'd say fitness is a huge one. And I did the pole dance as well. That was so incredibly fun. Um, And group therapy. Group therapy has been super weird and super interesting. I've really enjoyed that as well. Okay. And um, I was going to ask you, I forgot what I was going to ask you, but I was going to bring this up at some point. But I remember seeing you change your social media page to making it more about sobriety and you said you're in recovery now so is being in recovery like did you go to rehab or are you just in recovery like you're no longer drinking like how do you mean that so recovery is a term they use in the 12-step program so i think i'm just using their lingo um Recovery could mean that you have been to rehab or recovery could just mean that you are like a recovering alcoholic or a recovering whatever, drug addict or, um, yeah, for some reason their terms have stuck with me and I think recovery is just, it is my recovery. Um, Yeah, I think maybe I do like that word because it's recovery from all the damage that I've done. Mm, But no, I didn't go to rehab. Oh, okay. All right. That's why I was wondering. I didn't know like how deep we could dig into this thing. Uh, because this is, this is such a good, it's giving me a a really good understanding of, uh, I guess the path that people might be on so that I can speak to it. I talk to people of all different ages, walks of life, sexes, all different sexes. I don't talk to people of all different sexes, but gender identities and sexual orientations and things like that. And there seems to be a few consistent trains of thought. And one of them is that people's behavior does, in fact, significantly change with their diagnosis when they start to really look at it and what that represents. You seem to be somebody who is very self-aware and willing to do this self-reflection work so my question to you is like what did your herpes diagnosis represent for you that you're recovering from or going through in order to better understand um i hope this is answering your question but i actually wrote down on a piece of paper what herpes means to me and it was it's actually on the floor next to me but you want to pull it up yeah, can yeah, I? Yeah. You wrote it on the back of something that looks really important. What? What's <laughs> that, that? That piece of paper looks really important. Oh, on the other side. Yeah, on the outside. Yeah, the other side of it looked important. You just wrote it on the back of oh. it? <laughs> yeah, that's some, some crap. Um, ooh, okay. This I'm is, ready. I want to share. Please. Herpes taught me that we are told that you need to have sex with someone to be worthy, worthy of love. I think that's what I was doing. I was having sex with people because I wanted to be worthy. I wanted them to like me. Um, Yeah, I just wanted and I was just so desperate to be loved. And I have so much more to offer than offer a man than sex. I have so much more to offer. What do you say to a young woman who's whatever age you were during those years who might be having sex looking for love as well? Advice? Yeah. Like, what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't know it right now, but is in the process of figuring out that this is what they're doing and this is what they're doing it for? I would say, please don't do it. Um, listen to your heart and don't ever let anyone convince you that you need to have sex with them because you don't owe anyone sex. You absolutely don't. That's, yeah, I I don't know what else I would say. Just don't do it. Well, <laughs> Please what, don't do it what unless did you, you really want to. Because the thing is, like, if someone told you don't do it, would you have listened? Mm, yeah, you're right. No, I 
I wouldn't have. I had to make those mistakes for myself. So to someone who is going to have to make the mistakes for themselves as well, you know, I guess what type of, in hindsight, if you know that you can go back and prevent some of the digging of the hole that is the trenches of the traumas that you've created and now you're in therapy and recovery for and there's time that you have to spend now getting out of that hole that you can't get back knowing this and knowing what you know now what did you actually need to hear for you to either change or change your intentionality with what you were doing I don't know if I can answer that because I don't, I can't see me doing anything else at the time. I honestly, I honestly don't. That's, that's really deep. Can we, can we go a little deeper there? Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I can't see myself not doing drugs, not partying. I feel like that had to be a part of my life. So I don't think there's anything I could go back and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't sleep with that guy. I don't think that I could have, how do I put this? I don't think my state in my state of mind, I was able to do anything but party and have fun. And that's it. Was it that you didn't see any other ways around you of existing or were they just all repulsive to you? <laughs> that's a good question. I... Yeah, I was like, study? I'm not going to study. Are you kidding me? Like, I I thought my life purpose, this is for real, I thought my purpose of being on this earth was to party and have a good time. That's what I thought my life purpose was. Okay, because my next question was just going to be like, what, what was your goal? Did you have a goal through partying and it, that that was the goal? <laughs> Yeah, it was the connection. It was the con- it was you know when everyone's high, man. The connection is next level, and I, I loved that so much. I yeah. fucking loved it. You loved what again? I'm sorry. I I loved the connecting with strangers. Uh huh. And has that stuck with you? Do you still like connecting with strangers? And has that way of connecting evolved a bit? Oh, it's evolved big time because the only people I will connect with now are people that I know it's going to be a real connection like are you going to mirror the love that I have for you or are you going to mirror like the interest in wanting to really get to know you or even with a connection like what me and you have this is for me like a really special connection because look at what we're doing Mm -hmm. so it has evolved definitely yeah thank you thank you for sharing that um I I do this thing, and I recognize that I do this thing, where we get somewhere and it seems completely irrelevant, but it there's value in it, not just for the podcast, but to that one person who might actually be in that position, you know, you said something that is very insightful that you didn't see anything else for yourself, and I want to unpack that even more because for a person who gets their herpes diagnosis, they can't see anything else for themselves outside of not having sex in that moment, at least. And these experiences, when they come and they find this podcast and they hear about people who are having sex, like their minds are blown because they're like, oh, my God, who's going to want to have sex with somebody who has herpes? Right. And it takes that challenging of their fixed mindset on what having herpes means for them. The challenging of that really does push them into another train of thought to where they can see different for themselves so that's why i keep like trying to get more into your experience with having gone through being the party girl and like just thinking that this was what you were because in the past like men decided that women were wives women were mothers and there was like this I don't want to say trajectory, but like there was a, you know, a visceral reaction that just 
this was what happened. You worked towards becoming that. And so my question or the reason that I'm like exploring this so much is I'm wondering, did someone tell you that you were going to be a party girl the same way that in the past someone told women this you're going to be a wife, you're going to be a mother? No, it just, I guess, honestly, if there's something, if there's fate, I it was fate for me to be the party girl because um, I have that wild child in me and that was the partying, you know, it was a way for me to let out that wild child, that, you know, that wild child. So no one, no, no one ever said to me, don't party or, or party. Like no one ever said anything really. Would you have done what anyone told you to do? Like, if someone told you, hey, do this, or hey, be this, would that have changed anything for you? No, I don't, I, I highly doubt it. I didn't have, I didn't have a, a good support system. I didn't have nice teachers that treated me well. My mum was just trying to get by, my dad wasn't there. I, I had no, no role models. Okay. So the absence of presence around you sort of created this environment for you to have to figure it out on your own and kind of have like a little bit of a rocky road and here you are now years after partying and you're on the trajectory that you choose or you chose for yourself and that this is what you want now yeah that's exactly right so that's what being sober taught me and hey what do you actually want to do like what what lights you what lights you on fire like what makes you feel good what are your passions whereas before if someone said what are your passions i'd be like i have no idea please don't ask me that question i am like so embarrassed that i have no idea what i am or who i am or what i want to do mm-hmm. so for the last or for this month it's july uh for the entirety of july i myself haven't been drinking um and it's been like a combination of things i remember seeing your page i moved back home to st louis missouri which i'm already ready to leave uh (laughs) and um i was at one of my friends from high school Uh, he had like a party and one of the guys there his wife i think they're married now his wife uh made a comment about him coming up on two years of sobriety and i remember hearing i was like yo congratulations man and i was like real excited and enthusiastic for him i was like what we doing for your uh for your two year and he seemed real like shocked he's like he played it he played cool but then like he ended up texting me later he's like hey man like I really appreciate that level of excitement. You know, he he was thrown off by, he was surprised. And, you know, I let him know. I was like, you know, it's cool seeing you in these social gatherings where literally everybody's drinking and you're not drinking, but you're still able to be social. And I've been, I ain't gonna say sober curious necessarily, but I've noticed that uh, the way that I used to use alcohol, which was really the talk to girls and it's like now I don't need alcohol to talk to girls like I'm grown and I recognize aspects of what that looks like you know with alcohol without alcohol and I I just don't need it (laughs) right and so for the month of July I I went without a couple of things that were part of my routine that just like ate up time for me because I had a goal. And the thing that my goal, it was to finish writing the first draft of the book for something positive for positive people. And I just finished it yesterday. I sent it all to the lady who's going to be editing and publishing. And I don't know that I would have been able to do that had I not gone into sobriety and I had also um, also stopped, I didn't masturbate for the month of July. And that's been something too, because I looked up, I was like, yo, I think I do this for like 60 to 90 minutes a night. And I go to sleep late. I still got to get up early in the morning, right? And so I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to replace that with yoga. And most of the time I've done yoga, but more recently, I haven't been doing the yoga before I go to bed. But all of that just to say, you know, you spoke to something that I think is important. And 
the absence of presence around you, it created something else. And that that void where there was this absence of presence was what you needed to fill something. You need to fill it with something and you filled it with the partying, the alcohol. And on the other side of that for myself, I recognize that the presence of alcohol, the presence of masturbating for 90 minutes a night, these things removed created a void where there was room for presence. So I was able to be present with the goal that I set for myself, which was to finish this book and it's done. And I say, I say I didn't masturbate, but I was able to not masturbate. I was still having sex. Don't get me wrong. But now that 90 minutes is replaced with you know, healthy sexual experiences and connections with people as well. So I want to thank you for putting yourself out there and being like, hey, I'm sober. Here's some things that you got to deal with when you're sober. Right. And another thing that happened for me is being in settings where people are drinking, you know, you it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And you have this objective bird's eye view of everything going on and you are present like that's what you are you don't drink to become more present you drink to become less present and less sensitive maybe to what's going on around you because i felt very intuitively uh in tune with my environment with the people who are there you know i'm able to read the room like oh that person's on a date that person looks like they might shoot this motherfucker up i better watch out that person's getting aggressive right and you can see these kinds of things playing out that you otherwise wouldn't have seen and i remember one day this was a long time ago this is during my party phase um i bought a fifth of vodka and i drove to an edm concert by myself, I parked in the garage, I opened a bottle, I took a shot, and I started drinking. I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck am I doing? And this was years ago, this was before the pandemic, and I remember I did this, and I was like, first off, I got a drink to go do a thing that I think that I want to do, do I even want to do that thing? And then two, like, if I gotta, if I'm doing this to save money, should I even be in this place? If, like, I'm going to go in here and... The reason that I'm drinking now is so that I don't spend money on drinking later. And that was when I think there was a little bit of an adjustment for me because it went from I drink when I go out to I don't always have to drink when I go out. And that set the stage for me to be at this point eventually. Like, you know, you you see it enough. You see around you um, people that are doing things that's making them better. And it. We have a, a, a internal response to these things, and I think that it challenges me to be better. Like we want to be around people who are going to make us make us is not the right word, but who are going to their presence invokes presence in us. So the presence of people who are not drinking, or the presence of people who are achieving things, right? I think a lot of people can get jealous if they're not in a place for that. And you mentioned mirrors earlier, being able to be mirrors toward one another. Uh, Some mirrors are clearer than others. And a person who knows who they are, a person who does respect themselves, love themselves, they have more of a clear mirror and they're going to be able to show your like dirt spots. Right. And I find that people who have more smudgy mirrors, you know, they are not always wanting to see that because when you have a clear reflection of a person in front of you, they're showing you everything. They're showing you those smudges. They're showing you those ketchup stains, those uh, uh, like cracks and creases in the mirror and bad lighting and everything. And if you're not ready, you're going to see that and you're going to lose your shit. But if you are ready, what happens is you find yourself willing and able to get a little bit of Clorox wipes or a little Windex, right? And and make yourself a little bit more clear and see more of yourself fully. But I don't think everybody is willing to see themselves fully. And that's why we tend to, you know, we'll keep drinking or we'll overeat or we'll overexert ourselves in 
whatever category that allows for us to distract ourselves to where we're doing anything but cleaning that mirror. And so bringing this back full circle, what cleaning my mirror looked like was, all right, well, I don't think I had anybody like here looking at me necessarily for accountability, but I took a hard look at myself. I was like, yo, I'm beating my dick for like an hour to 90 minutes a night. What can I be doing with 90 minutes a night? Um, I'm drinking. It got to a point where I probably would drink once every other week or once a week. But at the same time, you know, even in those settings, it's like, why am I doing this? I'm just, am I doing this to just fit in? Am I doing this so that people don't ask me, hey, why aren't you drinking? And getting comfortable with just being like, no, I'm not drinking has been its own challenge, but that's a way of setting boundaries and it's a way of honoring yourself and getting into a practice of doing what's best for you because we just don't get that opportunity all the time. So, um, you being out there about your own experience, your own story has been something that has been supportive to me. And even if in short glimpses, like I'm able to see you're in the process of cleaning the smudges off of your mirror, making yourself more reflective to me. And I'm able to see that and move forward accordingly. So I thank you for that. Thank you, legend. That's really sweet. Would you call me? Legend. Oh, <laughs> that's a new one. That's a new one. I was like, huh? Why'd you call me Lil Jim? It's like, it's Lil Jim. Oh, no. do, do Americans say legend a lot? Well, not really. No. Okay, it's an Aussie thing, I think. I think so, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, there, there's something to be said for just the absence of presence because i think that that's what we're looking for you know you mentioned validation and attention like the quality of the attention that you got you know typically merging bodies together having sex is present you know typically you have to be there you ain't reaching for your phone other people ain't involved it's just you and that person so sex itself can seem like an act of shared presence and connection but it can also be a disassociated uh, experience as well, especially if it's someone that you don't feel connected to the person. If it's not something that you want to do and you're just doing it for the illusion of connection. So, um, yeah, what I'm finding is like more of these kinds of conversations like this is presence to me. Um, being in person with someone and being able to have a real conversation or being able to just share space. Like you feel when a person is just being present with you and you feel when they're not there. And I think that being more in tune with yourself allows for you to um, pick up on that a lot sooner. So that's uh, that's my, my little five cents. No, I love that. I, um, and I'll, I really... I appreciate you letting me know that, you know, my sobriety journey is having, even if it's a little impact, because sometimes I'll question and be embarrassed that I am sharing my story. Um, but this is why I'm sharing my story. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Um, do you have a bit or do you need to go? I see you walking around a little bit. Do you need to get off of here? Just the noise. I'm trying to get away from the noise. I don't, I don't hear know if anything. Hear. I don't even hear noise. Okay, good. Okay. I've been muting it, but the um. You've been doing great. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, but yeah, do you have a little bit to stick around for a bit so we can do some uh like after show content for Patreon? Yep. Tight. Um, so do you want people from this episode to follow you or anything like that? Because you can tell them how they can contact you. Um, some yeah, people, I mean, some people don't like their names being out there, and they don't want people to connect with them. So that's why I ask. So you don't have to say that if you don't want to. Uh, no, I'm I'm fine with it. Okay. Um, I mean, if people want to contact me on Instagram, they can. Okay. Um, should I just share my mm-hmm. Instagram? Yep. Um, I don't even know what it is. I think it's Magic seventy seven underscore forty four. 
Oh, all right. We'll have to double check that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's what it was. Okay, cool. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. But yeah, yeah, Fran, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me on. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. All right. Stick around for a second. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. And um, you can make donations at www.spfpp.org to support our ongoing advocacy efforts to integrate the lived experiences of people who've gone through and navigated STI stigma into sex education resources so that we may do a better job at... um, aiding std prevention efforts as they exist i am on social media at courtney brain underscore and um yeah feel free to connect with me if you have any questions if you want to be a guest even shoot me an email courtney at spfpp.org and yeah until next time